Please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. We continue our series on the book of Joshua. We're calling the series Possessing Our Possessions. And today in the book you have the people of Israel under the leadership of Joshua coming to the Jordan River, their first real obstacle as they prepare to enter the promised land at the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And uh, a number of approaches we could take to this section, but I think the one that might be most helpful is to think of it in terms of how to face obstacles in faith. You're a Christian, let's say. If you are, I'm a Christian. Well, we face obstacles or opportunities every day in our homes, in our businesses, uh, wherever it may be. How do we apply our faith to those? What difference does it make that you're a Christian as you approach that obstacle? Uh, In uh, their situation, notice the situation they faced in verse 3, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Joshua. Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. Their obstacle, the Jordan River. Notice how big this obstacle was. In chapter 15, verse 15, the last part of it, it says, Jordan overflows all his banks all the time of harvest. Now, the Jordan was between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and the valley there between the two ranged from 3 to 14 miles wide, and then the floodplain within that valley was anywhere from 200 yards to a mile wide, the floodplain. The channel of the river was anywhere from 3 feet deep to 12 feet deep, and there was a rapid current because you had in some areas a a drop of 40 feet within a mile. So here's this broad, raging torrent that Joshua's got to move three and a half million people across. This was a big obstacle. There's a new obstacle. They hadn't faced this kind of thing before. They faced many other obstacles in the wilderness, but this is new. In uh, verse uh, 4, the last phrase says, You have not passed this way before. Well, your obstacle may be like that. It may be just that big and just that new. You haven't faced this before, whether it's in your family, at work, whatever. Think of a young man years ago here who felt led to go on the staff with Campus Crusade for Christ after he got out of college and had been in business a little while, and he uh, was having to raise his support. And I spoke one occasion when he was present on Zacchaeus, and when Zacchaeus, the Lord ate supper with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus became a believer, and Zacchaeus said to the Lord, if I've wronged any man, I will restore unto him fourfold. And the whole idea of when we become Christians or any point, uh, we need to make restitution if we've wronged somebody and we can make restitution. This young man came up to me and said, Boy, when you said that, it really struck me. God brought to my mind that when I was in high school some ten years ago, that there was a fellow down the street got a brand new car, a brand new Cadillac, and it was painted gold. He was so proud of that car. And one evening, some of us high school students went down and repainted it for him. 
said, God convicted me of that. I guess I need to go see him, don't I? I said, I guess you do. He said, but I'm trying to raise my support. If I have to go make good that car repainting, I'll never get my support raised. I'll be in debt from now on. He had an obstacle, didn't he? Well, notice uh, the instruction they received and how they received it. It came in stages. Stage one was to move toward the obstacle. Verse 3, They commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. They were to move toward the obstacle, following the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, uh, uh, this, well, you take this principle and say, all right, I've, I've got an obstacle. There's some things I can do to approach the obstacle. Let's say you want to go to college and... And you didn't have the means, but you felt God wanted you to get a college education. Well, there's some things you could do. You could investigate colleges. You could decide which colleges you might want to try to go to to get trained. You could see if they had any scholarship program. You could write to them. You could see if there were jobs that you could get in the area. There are things you could do to move toward the obstacle. And then use the means God has provided for guidance and for grace. In this particular case, those means, it says, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest of the Levites bearing it, you shall remove your place and go after it. Yet there will be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by nature. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way that you must go. The ark of the covenant would move out towards the Jordan, and the people would leave a distance, 2,000 cubits, here's a 1,000 yards between them and it. And uh, so they could see. They had a means of guidance. Well, we have a means of guidance. We have the Word of God. We need to be men and women of the book. We need to know the book. We need to search the book when we have decisions to make. Is there something here that speaks to my obstacle in my situation? We have prayer. We have a living God who directs His people. And He tells us to seek counsel in the... And many counselors, their safety. So we have means that we can use. And you notice these were a covenant people. These people were in covenant with the Lord. We enter a covenant with the Lord today by faith in Jesus Christ. When we believe that your Bible is divided into Old Covenant and New Covenant. They were under the Old Covenant, Old Administration of the Covenant of Grace. We are under the New Administration today. And uh, that has to do with believing that Jesus Christ was God become man. God and man. That He created the world, and then in time He became a person, was both. Demonstrated that He was a true person. Got tired, had to eat. But demonstrated He was God. He'd raise the dead. He would create bread and fish. Then died, not a normal death, but a death where He was paying for man's sin taking our guilt upon Him so God could be just. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit could be just when they forgave us without overlooking the law. 
Is anything God can't do? Yes. God can't lie. God can't be unjust. God can't overlook his own sense of right and wrong. So if he's going to forgive man, it has to be in a way that didn't overlook his law. The only way that could be was God the Son would come and bear our guilt. Be man, could substitute, and yet be infinite, could substitute for all of us, and pay for it in full. The finished work of Christ. Pay for it in full. And uh, then rise from the dead, and then offer us free forgiveness through repentance and faith. Repentance, real turning from my sin, real purposing to obey a master, Jesus Christ. Won't obey him perfectly, but nonetheless dead in earnest, and trusting him to forgive me graciously, by grace, a sheer gift, not deserved, full, free, permanent pardon, justify me. And when we do that, we're in the covenant. We're members of that same covenant, a new administration, covenant of grace. These are the covenant people got. That's the starting place. Then using those means of guidance and grace, his gracious operation in our life, that he's provided. Uh, third thing of stage one is make sure there's no undealt with sin in your life. You're asking God to do something, to move that obstacle, to act, to guide. Make sure there's no undealt with sin in your life. There's always going to be sin in your life. But no undealt with sin that you're consciously going on purposely against God's will in some area. Whether it's what you're looking at, what you're reading, who you're with, uh, some habit, whatever it may be. Verse uh, 5 says, uh, Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. If you want God to work in your life, you have to sanctify yourself. You have to cleanse yourself. And theirs was an external cleansing, but it points to this internal dealing with sin in our lives. Confession of it, turning from it. Stage one. What do you do with stage one? They obeyed it. They did those things. And then they received stage two of directions. In verse 7, the Lord, well, verse 6, Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass over before the people. They move out. And uh, they went before the people. The Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Uh, and thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the warden of Jordan, warden of, water of Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. They receive further instructions. And the first instruction is, now in stage two, is move up to the Jordan River and stop. Is that what it says? No. It says move into the obstacle. First move toward it. Now move in it. Step into it. Tackle it. And expect God to move it. Verse 13. And it shall come to pass... As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. Expect God to move 
the obstacle. Now, there's some principles here. Let's think about the principles of this. First, there's the walk-in-light principle. They didn't receive all this instruction at one time. They received part of it, and when they did that, when they followed the light they had, then they got stage two. Then they got further light. God gives you light. If you don't deal with the light that you have, you don't do what you know you should do, He's not going to give further light. Walk in light. Light obeyed increases light. Light disobeyed bringeth night. Now, uh, walk in light and then walk in faith. That's the second principle, the walk in faith principle. What is faith? Faith is taking God at His word. Faith is reckoning on God's general promise to be with His covenant people. He told Joshua and them, As I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. No man will be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Nothing will be able to effectively keep you from doing my will here. Uh, As I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We looked at that last week. And we saw how the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, 5, and 6 takes that promise made to Joshua and applies it to every Christian. Said God has made that commitment to every Christian. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Therefore, we may boldly say, I will not fear what man shall do to me. I'll tackle these opportunities and obstacles, trusting him to be with you. Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission today, the OMF, tremendous man of God. Hudson Taylor said, All God's giants have been ordinary men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. They stepped out and tackled these things, the opportunities and the obstacles, counting on God to act. Now, uh, where you have specific promises, you claim those promises. You have a general promise that He'll be with you, but sometimes we have specific promises. We have specific promises about guidance. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy paths. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberty and upbraids not, it shall be given him. Financial area. Do you have any promises in the financial area? Give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your business. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse. Prove me now, herewith says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Um, you have uh, Jesus saying, Don't be anxious what you eat, what you wear. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added. Where we have specific promises, as we do in many areas, plead those promises. Claim those promises. Trust God to fulfill those promises. Think about, uh, I think about a man who some years ago uh, came to me as a new Christian here, an architect. And uh, he said, I have a problem. I said, what's your problem? He said, well, I can't meet my payroll. I've got employees. I've got a payroll due this afternoon of $10,000. And I can't meet it. He said, people owe me money, but they can't pay right now. And uh, I borrowed all I can borrow. What can I do? So let me ask you a question. Do you tithe? He said, you don't understand my problem. I said, well, maybe I do. Uh, 
suppose I set you up in business in Atlanta, and and uh, I said, look, you go over there and you get this business started, and you take 10% of the profits and return it to me at the end of the year, and uh, you can plow the rest back into business, live on it for your salary, but 10% comes to me. First year you send me 3%, you say, I'm sorry, I'm just getting started, and we you know, had a tough year, and I wish it could be more. Next year you send me 3%, and say, we've had a good year, but I had to increase the inventory. And next year you send me 3%, and we say, I wish we had such a good year, I had to get a place at the leak where I could get apart and spend some time with my family. And the next year you send me 3%, and you say, we had a new baby and had to add a room to the house. What would I do? He said, you, you'd put me out of business. I said, that's right. He said... I never even connected the two. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Let's pray. We got on our knees and said, God, I thank you for calling this to my attention. I never even thought about it. I know that the tenth is yours, and I, that if I keep it, I'm robbing you. And Lord, he said, forgive me. And I, I, I'm, as of now, I'm tithing, and that's settled. And, I, and Lord, I could use some help. If you wanted to help, it'd be all right. And I joined him in praying, and we mentioned some of those promises where he talks about you know, if you have know what we have need of, and our Heavenly Father will provide. And got up off his knees, he went down to the post office box, he put his hand in, took out a check for $10,000. Six months later, he's back to see me again. Same problem, only he had a payroll due the next day of $16,000. And he said, uh, gosh, I'm, I, people owe me, and but they, they can't pay me right now. It's tied up in some way, and I can't borrow anymore, and I need... To meet my payroll tomorrow. I said, well, are you tithing? Yes. I said, any undealt with area of sin in your life? Not that I'm conscious of it. So we looked at some of those promises and we said, Lord, you say that you'll meet our needs and, and uh, maybe Bill needs to go out of business. But if he doesn't, then he needs you to give some money so he can meet his payroll. And we pray that you would do that. He got up off his knees and went down to the post office, put his hand in the post office box, nothing there. Oh, ooh. Next day, he called the city hall where he was bidding a job, and he'd done some other work for them, and they, the money was tied up. And He asked to speak to Mr. Smith, and they connected him, and he said, uh, about this job, I'm bidding, and so on. Listen to him, and he said, who would you ask to see? He said, I asked to talk to Mr. Smith. He said, well, I'm Mr. Jones. He said, but uh, I'll connect you with Mr. Smith. He said, what did you say your name was? He said, Bill Poole. He said, is that Poole Pardue Marston Dean Architect? He said, yes, sir. He said, I got a check here for sixteen thousand dollars for you. So you want me to to mail it to you? No, I'll come get it. Said I. <laughs> well, that's unusual, uh, but it's not unusual for God to act on behalf of His people when they step out in faith. And uh, that's the challenge. Abraham uh, was promised by God that he'd have a child by Sarah. How does faith function? You get the analysis of that. You have the story, of course, in Genesis. But then you have an analysis by Paul of Abraham's faith. Abraham's the father of the faithful. And uh, he analyzes Abraham's faith there, which was such a key thing. And uh, he, he says like this. He says it was promised to him he'd have this child by Sarah. But Abraham's too old to have children. It's, he no longer is able to do that. And his wife's too old. Her womb is dead and his body is dead as far as having children. But yet God has promised him that he would have a child. And so Abraham, so Paul says, Abraham focused on God 
and God's person and God's promise. And he didn't focus on the deadness of his body or the deadness of Sailor's womb. He was conscious of those things. He considered them, but he didn't let the consideration of them cause him to doubt God's promise. They would tend to do that, but then he put those doubts down. Here's the way Paul says it. In Romans 4, he says, uh, It was written, I have made thee a father of many nations. He promised him, I will make you the father of many nations through Isaac. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, he believed God could raise his dead body from this deadness in terms of begetting children and Sarah's dead womb. God who quickens the dead. He's focusing on God and God's ability and God's power. Uh, he believed even God who quickened the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Those things which seemingly impossible, God says, will happen. Uh, as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. So, who against hope believed in hope? When there was no hope, humanly speaking, he didn't look at the human situation, but focused on God and believed God would do it. Had confidence. And it says, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to perform. He didn't focus on the impossibility of the situation. He focused on God and God's power and God's promise. And that's how faith is to focus. That's how to do it. Um, that's, that's what faith is. Remember, that's what Joshua had earlier focused on when uh, they were initially called to go in some 40 years earlier to the land and take it over. And He was one of those 12 spies and Ten of the twelve said, we can't do it. We can't do it. Do you understand the situation? They're high-walled cities and giants. And they're much stronger than we are. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, God will be with us. And they are grasshoppers in his sight. Let us go up. It's Joshua's focus on God and his power and his promise. That's the way faith focuses. And think as faith must perform, it's got to speak up. And it's got to step out. It's got to speak up. Jesus said in, John, in Matthew 17, 20, If you say to this mountain, say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and do not doubt in your uh, heart, but believe, you will receive. It will be cast in the sea. Well, I've got to speak up. As a church up in Tennessee, Baptist Church on Highway 46, some years ago, Pastor Roy Crawford and the people built a new church. And... Uh, Right along the highway, they had eight acres. They built on the front four acres, and when they moved in, they didn't have enough parking, and and the people were parking along the highway. And at the end of the first service, all excited, the highway patrol comes in and says, "You can't have services and have all those people parked out there along the highway. You've got to move those people." Back part of the lot, four acres, was a mountain. And they didn't have the money to move that mountain. They borrowed everything they could to get in there. But the pastor stood up after the highway patrolman left, and he read that verse. You say to the mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, God will move the mountain. Isn't that? We need to claim that verse. Everybody who's prepared to claim that verse, 
come Wednesday night. Five people showed up. They read the verse, they prayed, and they went out and looked at the mountain and said, Move! Went back and prayed some more. Next morning, the phone rang. Telephone company up there. Said, uh, you the pastor of this church? Yes. Said, we, we bought a lot down the road from you. We want to put a plant in there and uh, communications thing. And it's got a big hole in it. And we looked around in Europe. You've got a big mountain. It's right the size of our hole. And we wondered if you'd sell us your mountain to put in our hole. Said, yes, sir. We'd be glad to do that. <laughs> and uh, so they paid them $5,400 to move their mountain into that hole. You got to say to the mountain, you got to speak up, you got to go on record. Faith, uh, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, It shall, it shall be done. Some of you remember when we were in our old church, we had a mountain there and we had a parking problem. And I asked the deacons to move the mountain, and the deacons studied that mountain. They said, You don't understand, preacher. You preachers don't understand these things. He said, There's, that mountain is full of rocks. You'd have to blast it. It'd be very expensive. We don't have the money. Well, I asked the elder to move it. That's a step up. And uh, the elders studied it, and uh, they came back and said, You preachers don't understand these things. But it so happened I was preaching on this passage shortly thereafter. And I said, You know, we've got a mountain. And I want to challenge the congregation to say to that mountain, Be thou removed, be thou... I didn't mean to do this going into the sermon, but I got carried away. And uh, at the close of the service, I said, Everybody who's prepared to, let's turn up, and let's look at that mountain, and let's say together, Be thou removed! And we did it. And we all went out to look and see if it was still there. You know, a couple months later, a family bought the lot next to us. And the deacons came to me, and the elders came to me and said, You know what? If they build a house on that lot, and then we try to move that mountain, we're going to move their house in the process. I mean, we've got to blast that mountain, and it'll shake them. I mean, we, if we're going to do it, we've got to do it now. And all of a sudden, they got real busy. And that mountain was moved in a relatively short period of time. Now, I believe it's connected to us as a congregation standing up and saying to that mountain, be thou removed. You've got to speak up. Faith's got to speak up, going on record, saying... We believe God will do what He says He'll do. And faith's got to step out. Verse 13, it says uh, here, It shall come to pass, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above. And uh, it says that they march toward it. And verse 15, they, As they that bear the ark would come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. Picture that first fellow. Here you are, you're the, you're the first priest, and you, you know, they've got this big box with the Ten Commandments in it, and you're, and you're approaching this heart, and you get about ten yards from it, and slowed one bit. And you say, wait a minute, what's supposed to happen? And it's just keep walking. And you get about five yards from it, and you say, it's not slowing down! They said, keep walking. He said, I think we're supposed to back in. And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, faith's got to step out. Faith's got to speak up and faith's got to tackle it. Faith's got to step into it. And, uh, God acts. 
Some of the illustrations of it from the Bible. Think of David going out to meet Goliath. He didn't have any special revelation from God. David, choose five stones, go out there, take three swings, let one go. I'll hit him, don't worry. He just said, here's an obstacle. God's name's not being honored here. This is terrible. Somebody's got to do something. God, you've been with me in the past. You delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear. I believe you'll help me. I'm going to tackle this thing, and I'm going to trust you to act. And he goes into the Goliath. He says, you come to me, the short of steel and spear. I come to you in the name of the God of the army, the Lord of hosts, the armies of Israel. He will deliver you into my hand. And he throws that sling, and God honors that. God acts. Think about Christian Bible reading Bill Bright's history and all. Bill Bright got a little campus organization on a few campuses and feels, man, this, this is needed around the world. And, but we need a location where we can have as a headquarters. And here's about this hotel that's been abandoned because there's no water up in the mountains of San Bernardino where Arrowhead Springs is. He goes and looks at it and he says, God, you're the God who can do the impossible. This would be a great place for us to have the headquarters. God, I believe you'll do it. I, I believe if I'll tackle this, you'll act. And so he says, I'll buy it. He didn't have any money. He writes to people all over and says, help. And then he says, let's dedicate this place to the Lord. And he gets Walter Judge, former uh, congressman, former missionary to China and, or Japan, and says, let's, let's dedicate this place. And they come and, and I'm driller in San Bernardino says, I've got a drilling rig I'll lend you for a week. And Walter Judd is praying, dedicating the place, and the man runs in and says, we struck water. Amen. Step into the obstacle. Trust God to act. Uh, that young man I talked about who was going on campus crusade staff, and, and then he thought, i got to go back and tell the God I repainted his car. He drove to the house, and he drove around the house about ten times, and finally he went in and Knocked on the door, and a man said, Yes, sir. He said, I, Sir, I said, my name is Butch Busby. He said, You remember some years ago you had a, a car that got repainted? He said, Yes, I remember that. He said, Well, I was one of the young men that repainted your car, and I've become a Christian, and uh, I believe I ought to try to make it right, and I want to come by and, and see what I owe you, or what I can do to make it right. He said, Well, come in. Tell me about yourself. So you know what? I'd like to be one of your supporters. I don't want you to pay me anything. I want to support you. Man alive. Step into the obstacle. Trust God to act. Well, the manifestation they experienced here, verse 15, says, As they that bear the ark of the covenant were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon the heat very far from the city of Adam, as if a giant invisible dam were dropped, and the waters back up, and the other waters run off, and uh, they cross over on dry land. Now, what did that indicate? Uh, well, it indicated no more trials. No. Verse 10. Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites. It says, this will just show that God is with us, and he'll be with us in these future battles that we have to fight. That's what it'll show. Well, they, they made a commemoration of this. Uh, God provided. Chapter 4, verse 3. 
It says, Take a man from every tribe and command them, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and carry them and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. And uh, they were to commemorate this. Verse 6, This may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? You shall answer that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And uh, they, would have, they would have taken twelve stones out of the midst of the river and stack them up on the side. Then they would have taken twelve stones in the midst of the river and stacked them up where you could see them down in the river. And uh, they do this. And uh, it was to have an educational thing. Verse 20 of chapter 4. Those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? You shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over on this Jordan on dry land. Verse 24, That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Think of a grandfather some years later, one of these priests. He's walking by the river and they see that stack of stones. And his, his grandson says, Granddaddy, what are those stones doing here? He said, Well, son, those stones came out of the middle of Jordan River. He said, uh, I was one of the priests that carried the ark. And when we came there, it was a raging torrent. And uh, I stepped into that river, and uh, it was like an invisible dam dropped. And the water backed up, the other water ran across, and we went across on dry land. And those stones came out of the riverbed. And his grandson said, Granddaddy, that is a great story. Tell me another one. You don't believe me, son? Well, I mean, Granddaddy, that doesn't happen. Come here, son, look down in that river. You see anything down there? It looks like there's some stones stacked up down. That's right, son. It did happen. Look at these stones. See, they're smooth. They've been in the riverbed. It did happen, son. There is a God. And uh, He does act on behalf of His people. We need to remember it and record it. Never forget it. And tell it to our children and our grandchildren. Of course, all of us, in a sense, have a memorial. Your memorial, if He's changed your life. I'm a memorial. My kids, when they were little, they used to say, Daddy, tell us again that story about when you were a Navy pilot and how bad you were and how Christ changed your life. I said, oh, you don't want to hear that again. Yes, I do. Yes, we do, Daddy. Amen. You're a memorial. If you're a Christian, well, um, if we're not experiencing miracles in our lives, why not? Maybe we're not stepping out and tackling things. Expecting God to be with us. What's your obstacle? You need to speak to it. Step out. Check any unclean area in my life, anything not dealt with. Are you sharing what Christ has done in your life? If you're not a Christian, you'll come to Jordan one day. You'll have to cross that old river. And you're not in a covenant relation with God. It'll sweep you down to the sea of the dead. The dead sea. You can only escape and cross that river safely by faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, just some obstacle that you need to apply these principles to, some opportunity. Uh, are you sharing your memorial? the change in your life and other things God has done in your life.
EE is a great opportunity to be trained to do that. You've never committed your life to Christ, but you want to do that. You want Him to make you a memorial. Pray now in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, I want to be in a covenant relation with you. I want you to change me and make me a memorial of your work. I trust you as my Savior and surrender to you as my Master. Amen.